Good morning. Thank you for uh, having me back. It's a pleasure to see you again and to uh, recognize a few more faces. Uh, thanks for your warm greetings out in the hallway there. It's uh, a friendly group you've got here, and I appreciate the welcome. I invite you to share with me this morning a couple of passages of Scripture, Psalm 26 and Philippians 3. I don't always do two scriptures. I did it last time I was here, I know, and I'm doing it today, but not always. But they fit so well together. In fact, um, Psalm 26 is fulfilled in Philippians 3. And so I invite you to keep your fingers in both as I preach along. You'll get a lot more out of the sermon if you do that. So Psalm 26 goes like this. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have lived a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O God, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. And then over to Philippians chapter 3, beginning with the middle of verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. May God's word to us this morning pierce our hearts, change our lives, strengthen our faith, our hope, and our love. People loved by Jesus Christ, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Or of not doing something you did do? Being falsely accused is no picnic. Just ask all the candidates for public office. It isn't even 2020 yet, and we're full bore into the season, and 
And we're hearing all kinds of accusations flying back and forth, aren't we? Some of them undoubtedly true and some of them probably false. It's going to be our job as voters to decide which is which. Now I mentioned false accusations in the area of politics because that's what Psalm 26 is all about. David, King David, is being accused of unnamed things by unnamed sources, falsely accused. And so here in Psalm 26, he, he stands, he says, on level ground. Verse 12, you heard me read that, on level ground, not in the court of public opinion, but in the great assembly of worship, pleading his case with God. He says, God, I want you to test me, examine me, try me, judge me, O God, vindicate my good name. You heard him say that. And in the process of arguing his case, he says an audacious thing. I have lived a blameless life, and I'm living a blameless life right now. What kind of person says something like that? I mean, really. At the very least, somebody that doesn't know himself very well somebody who fools himself about himself and is a little boastful. At the worst, it's a narcissistic egomaniac or a blindly self-righteous Pharisee. I mean, would any of you dare to stand up here in this congregation this morning and say, I've lived a blameless life and I'm doing it right now? Anybody want to volunteer? Well, you wouldn't, of course, because you know what the Bible says. You've heard Paul summarize the teachings of Scripture about the sinfulness of humanity when he says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have lived a blameless life? I don't think so. And yet, and yet the Bible says that about other people. Back in Genesis 6, just before the story of the flood, God says that Noah was a blameless man, and that's why he got to be saved in the ark. And at the very beginning of Job, the very first chapter, very first verse, it says that Job was a blameless man, and that's why his suffering was so incomprehensible. And, and, and Paul himself, who taught us total depravity, says in our readings from Philippians 3, I was faultless. And he invites people to imitate him in the way he lives. And maybe most important, in Genesis 17, where God renews the covenant of grace with Abraham, God speaks as though being blameless is really what all of us need to be as covenant partners. God says to Abraham and to all of Abraham's seed, walk before me and be blameless. So it isn't just David. He's in good company when he claims to live a blameless life. So maybe we need to think a little more about what that means. I mean, how good do you have to be to claim that your life is blameless? 
Well, it surely doesn't mean sinless. I mean, just the psalm before this, David says, Oh God, forgive my youthful sins. And that reminded me of Bathsheba and Uriah. David was guilty of adultery and murder and lying and heaven knows what else. Blameless doesn't mean sinless. Well, then what does it mean? Well, David tells us. He says that, well, the word he uses, that the Hebrew word, I hate to pull the Hebrew card on you, but this helps, is a word that means that his life was, was whole, that it was together, that he had integrity, that his life fit together, there was a coherence there. What does that mean? Well, David's very clear. It has to do with trusting God completely and always keeping God's love and faithfulness at the center of his life. Verse 1, he says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And in verse 3, he says, your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. Yes, I have sinned, I have sinned terribly, but I've always trusted you, O God, and no matter what I've done, no matter where I've gone, your love and your faithfulness are at the center of my mind and my heart. Well, that's easy to say, isn't it? But where's the evidence? Well, David is very clear. He says in verse 4, Here's the evidence. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. You know my faith by the company I keep. And then he says in verses 6 and 8, I love your house, O God. I go about your altar singing your praise and speaking of your wonderful deeds. In other words, not only does David hate evil, he also loves the temple. He shuns evil people and he seeks God. His faithful life and his fervent worship fit into each other. His life had integrity. It held together. He didn't say one thing and do another. His walk and his talk were together. I have lived a blameless life and I'm doing it now. That's what he said. That's what God said about Noah and Joel, Job. And that's what God says all of us must do as well. So, what about you? Can you say it? Do you live a blameless life? Tell you what, let's, let's all of us this morning do what David does in Psalm 26 and bring ourselves into this level place in the great assembly and ask God to judge us, to examine us carefully, to test us and try us. Can we say to God, I've always lived a blameless life and I'm doing it now? Where's the evidence? Can you honestly say that your life is always different from those wicked people who live in dark places? 
Or do you, along with Garth Brooks, have friends in low places? Do you flee from evil? Or do you find its depiction on TV shows like Game of Thrones tantalizing? Do you love the church? Or do you find it kind of boring and sometimes downright irritating? Do you always go around singing God's praise and telling of his wonderful deeds, or are you silent a good deal of the time? Not just because you don't sing very well, but because you don't feel like singing God's praise because you're not feeling that good about God. And most important, do you always, always trust God? Or are there times when the situation in your life is such that you look at God and you say, what are you doing? Are you even here? Do you love me at all? Do you live a blameless life? Well, I've studied this for a long time, and when I get done asking those questions about myself, I always ask, how can anybody live a blameless life? Anybody? Well, that's why I wanted to read with you from Philippians 3, where David tells us how to live a blameless life. I said David, I meant Paul, of course. David didn't write Philippians. Paul was a good man. Paul was a very good man, better than David by a long shot. We, we heard him talk about that in those opening verses. He says, if anybody else thinks they've got a reason to feel good about themselves before God, to put confidence in the flesh is the way he puts it, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew... Uh, an Israelite, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you can see his chest puff out. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting the church, as to legalistic righteousness, faultless. It's quite a word, faultless. David is ticking off all the boxes, you know, the religious boxes, uh, religious pedigree, activity in the church, obedience to the law, commitment to the cause of God's truth, and when it comes to living by the rules, faultless to the nth degree. He says, I have done it all. Anything anybody would ever have to do to be blameless before God, I've done it. But... You saw that word. That's a red flag word, a, a flashing red light word. It warns us that what's coming next is different than what just happened, was just said. There's something unexpected, something about God's grace. In fact, you know that you can summarize the gospel in two words, don't you? But God you read through your Bible and you'll find that all over the but God. Here Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, all those things I just talked about, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All the things I used to treasure and trust, 
I now consider trash, he uses that word, garbage. The Greek word is skubala, and I can't translate it literally in polite company. Trust me. Everything I thought would get me there, everything I thought was wonderful, I now consider garbage that I may gain Christ. Knowing Christ, he says, is more important than anything. I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, does that mean that that, uh, Paul doesn't care anymore about living a blameless life? Is he saying, well, I trust Jesus and I can do whatever I want now? No, listen to what he says in verses 12 through 14. This is why I hope you kept your Bible open. He says, not that I have already obtained this, this knowledge of Christ, or have already become perfect, but he says, there's one thing I do. I press on. No, he doesn't say it that way. He says it this way. And here, picture an athlete, picture somebody running for the finish line, arms pumping, chest thrust out, lungs bursting. Picture somebody rounding third base, heading for home, getting ready to dive in headfirst. Forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like somebody that doesn't care about a blameless life? He's passionate, dedicated to living that kind of life. And so should we. But Paul has learned that there's only one way to live a blameless life. You know what it is. I hope you do. It is to trust the righteousness of Christ. Here's how he puts it in verses 8 and 9. I consider those human attempts to be righteous to be rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's what it means to to trust God without wavering, the way David talked in Psalm 26. You focus on Christ and Christ alone. And if you focus on Christ alone, you can live a blameless life because His righteousness makes you blameless. And the more you know him, the more you can trust him, which is why Paul keeps saying, I want to know Christ. And you say, well, you already know him. You met him on the Damascus Road. You've been talking about him. No, he says, I want to know Christ more and more and more because the more you know him, the more you'll trust him. I want that more than anything, says Paul, because it's the key to everything. Now, that's all very Theological, I hope you got it, but some people don't think theologically, so let me talk non-theologically for a while. Have any of you ever heard of the movie Saving Private Ryan? Who hasn't? 
Most of you might have seen it and you close your eyes at the first 20 minutes. It is the bloodiest thing you've ever seen in your life. It is a depiction of D-Day, World War II. Well, do you remember the end of the movie? The very end? That's what I want to talk about. The movie is about Private Ryan, who's one of four brothers, three of whom are killed in combat, and the army had the rule that no mother could be made childless by the war. So the army assigned Captain John Miller, played by Tom Hanks, to find Private Ryan somewhere out there in the vast European theater of war. Small platoon of men, they head off, beginning at the blood-soaked beaches of Normandy and then winding their way through the beautiful French countryside and those bombed-out French villages. Skirmishes, battles along the way people are killed and wounded, and Captain Miller perseveres in his search to save Private Ryan. He finds him at last in a, in a bombed-out French village where he and a few other soldiers have been assigned to guard a bridge, the only bridge left across a river that's keeping the Germans from counterattacking. Private Ryan is a loyal soldier. He loves his comrades in arms, and so he won't be saved. He will not go with Captain Miller. I'm staying here with my buddies. What's Captain Miller to do? Well, he decides to stay there with his men and together fight off the Germans. The Germans attack in force. The army of the Americans, the little army of the Americans, is ingenious and they're, they're warriors, but the Germans come on and they come on. And in the very end of it all, they're coming toward the bridge and Captain Miller is fatally shot. And as he lies in the middle of the bridge, cradled by Private Ryan, he looks up at Ryan and says, Earn this. Earn it. Those words haunted Private Ryan all his life. And so when he was an old man, he took his whole family to Normandy, to the cemetery in which Private or Captain Miller is buried. The very last scene in the movie, Private Ryan is looking down at the white cross that marks the grave of Captain Miller. And he says to the man who died saving his life, I tried to live my life as best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope I earned what all of you did for me. And as the movie ends, Private Ryan salutes the grave, his eyes filled with tears. Someday, you and I are going to stand before the judge of heaven and earth, our eyes downcast. Will you be able to say with David, test me, examine me, judge me, O oh God? Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man or woman or child. Tell me I lived a blameless life. 
you know what the judge will say to you? He will say, no, you didn't. But I did. For you. And when you raise your eyes, you will see a man. A man with wounded hands and feet and side. The same Jesus who was absolutely perfect and died for your imperfection will come again to judge the living and the dead, says the Apostles' Creed. And if you trust him, you are forever righteous. And I won't be a bit surprised if you and I, with tears running down our cheeks, don't salute the Son of God who gave his perfect life for our sinful ones. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we cannot praise you enough for doing what you did for the likes of us. Lord, the likes of us try to do the best we can, but we know we fail again and again. And so we're grateful for the good news that in Christ and by his righteousness, we can be blameless in your sight. Thank you for the good news this morning. Fill us with joy, with gratitude, and with faith. Lord, if there's someone here who's never gotten this before, who never really understood, may this be the day that boy or girl, that man or woman, puts their trust in Jesus Christ forever. We pray this in his name. Amen.